You mad, bro? <laughs> There's maybe a few of us that are a little mad at the way the results happened last night. Some of us are really happy, right? Yeah, I'm on the losing side. I cheered for Michigan, but I don't make bets from the stage either. So I'm going to leave it at that and let Pastor Ryan be his own demise on that one. So, hey, we're, we're going to talk about anger today. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, this could be a good message. There could be some application, whether you believe in the whole Jesus thing or not. However, we are going to view this through the lens of the Bible, because that's what we believe in here at Radiant Life. We believe in Jesus, that he was dead, buried, and raised, and that we can live in that. So um, with that being said, I'm going to be all over Scripture. And so we made an announcement about the Version Bible app. This would be a great time to go there, go to events. All the Scriptures will be in there. There's even some devotions that you can continue um, on this thought about anger. So what makes you mad? Uh, for me, it's those, you know, sinner heathens that drive slow in the fast lane, and even though I'm on their bumper, they should clearly know to move over, and they don't. Like, that's one thing that makes me mad. Uh, I posted on Facebook a while back and said, hey, what makes you mad, or what makes you upset? And it was, it was pretty neat to see the variety of answers. But within my sphere of influence and the people that influence me in my life, I kind of noticed these two things of how people handle their anger. Uh, some of them are like this. They're like a skunk, and they stink the place up, and you know that they're mad, right? They'll be on their Facebook page, and it'll be an asterisk, and it'll say rant in all caps, and then 45 paragraphs later, you finally figure out what they're even upset about, right? Yeah, so some of you have seen those too, Right? So, but we just, we make a big stink about it. We know when there's a skunk around uh, in the neighborhood or whatever, if you live out in the country, but we know when there's a skunk. And sometimes people handle their anger in this way of, we know that they're angry, right? And then some of us are like this guy. We're like a turtle, right? Like we box it all in, we bottle it all up in there, and we pretend like we have this super hard shell, but let's be honest, it's more like an M&M shell and it's super gooey on the inside. Like we, we, we just bottle it all up, but eventually we explode sort of thing. I mean, even look at this guy. He just looks angry that he's got his picture taken. And so sometimes, I'm not saying that everybody falls into these two categories, but at least in, in my circles, I see these two predominant. And for me, I tend to start off as a skunk, and then I realize I'm stinking up the place, so then I'll go back into my turtle shell, and I let it really build up, and then I really create a stink. That's how I see my anger cycling in my life. Maybe you can relate. And just so you know, this whole message today, this message is for me. I don't stand up here like I have it all together. I'm literally preaching to myself this morning, and maybe it'll resonate with you. But let's start a base. How are we going to define anger? Anger, it's a strong emotional reaction of displeasure, often leading to plans for revenge or punishment. Now, let's be honest. We don't always follow through on our anger, but let's be honest. Like, we might think it through, right? So as I'm trucking down the highway and this person's not moving over, 
I might be considering the back of my mind of what a pit maneuver would look like and skidding them off the road. I sense there's some other people in the room that have thought the same thing. So, but we think it through, right? We may not actually act on it, but in our head, we, we think maybe some sort of revenge or punishment on this emotional reaction. So like I said, we're going to be getting into Scripture because Scripture talks about the word anger over 250 times throughout the Older and Newer Testament. And obviously we don't have time today to go over all of those. But some sort of form of the word anger, maybe wrath or something like that, some sort of form of the word is used over 250 times. And a lot of the common themes with it is jealousy. Because let's be honest, like we, we get upset because we've been putting our nights and our weekends in and that other person still got the promotion. Like we've been busting our tail, but they still got promoted or they got the extra vacation time or they got the bonus. And we get jealous of those things and we get upset and we get angry about that. Maybe we look at another relationship. We see this husband and wife and they seem to have it all together and they seem to really love each other. And we look at our own relationship and we're like, man, I wish he would act like that or I wish she would do that. And we get jealous of this other couple, even though we have no idea what's going on over there, but we get upset in our own relationship because we're comparing ourselves to this other one. Sometimes our pride gets in the way. Like we think we have all the answers. We know it all, right? Like I've got a reason to be angry about this. And so sometimes our pride gets in the way and it kind of goes in tail with this one of truth. I've had people speak truth into my life. And it wasn't necessarily something I wanted to hear. But I knew that they loved me so much that they would speak truth into my life. And I would get angry at it. Like, I don't want to hear this. I don't, I don't want to hear this about my life. And so sometimes I can kind of see this pride and this truth thing coming together. So let's look at a few verses here about anger. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. I can tell you from my experience, being hot-tempered, I've committed many sins. Like, it's pretty hard to get down on your knee and apologize to your kids because you didn't handle that situation correctly. Like, that's That's hard. And I've committed a lot of sins in my temper. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, and he wanted them to, to be set up for success, and this is what he wrote. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. So Paul, he writes to this church in Colossae, and he's like, look, guys, I want you guys to succeed. I want you guys to impact the kingdom. But we've got to work on some of, the thing, some of these things and get rid of them. And check this out. Anger is at the top of the list. And so there's something that Paul gets that anger can be detrimental to the kingdom of God. I love what the psalmist right here. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. I love that word, uh, do not fret. I love the idea that sometimes we just get so worked up, and honestly, like, 
are we even getting worked up about the right thing? And we'll unpack that here in a little bit. But I love this quote from Will Rogers. <laughs> People who fly into a rage always make a bad landing. Right? Like, yeah, there's a lot of truth in that in my life. And so I'm hoping as we land this message today, we'll have a better understanding of this whole thing of anger. And I, what I am attempting to do today is to give us a holistic look about anger. And so we're going to look at two different stories of Jesus, because Jesus is awesome, he's the game changer, but he's also a one-upper, and we're going to talk about that here in a second. So we're going to look at Jesus, a story about him from Matthew here, and he says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's like, okay, we get that. So he's actually referencing back to the Ten Commandments. We actually did an 11-week series on the Ten Commandments. You can go to our church website and go figure out why we spent 11 weeks on the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is referencing the Ten Commandments. Like, we all get, like, you shouldn't go around murdering people. Like, that's an awful thing. But see, here's, here's the thing with Jesus. Jesus is a one-upper. He's always elevating everything. And so let's look at how he elevates this. But I tell you that anyone who is, read this word with me, angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Like, whoa, slow down here, Jesus. Wait, you're comparing anger with murder? Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa. Wait a minute, Jesus. What are you saying here? This word raka in Jewish culture means buffoon, empty head, fool. Now, if you were to fast forward the tape to our culture, 2,000 years later in Western culture, I, I can't even say what that would be in, in making fun of someone else. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, this is a serious uh, thing that's going on here. I love the way that um, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He says, you're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. So Jesus is putting a heavy, heavy emphasis on anger. And he's putting it up at the same level as murder. I think it's safe to say that no one that can hear me right now has not murdered anybody. And if you have, I'm not going to judge you. But Jesus is saying in our anger, it's at the same level as murder. That's a huge deal. And so like, okay, Brandon, so are we not supposed to get angry? Yep. Worship team, you come on up. We'll go eat some tacos. We'll get out of here today early. No, I, I don't know that that's what he's saying. So let's look at another perspective of Jesus 
about this whole thing with anger. And what I find interesting about this particular story is all four of the gospel writers wrote about this story. And they don't do that with every single story of Jesus. But we're going to look at it from John's perspective. And so John says here in chapter 2, verse 13 through 17, we're going to cover. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So I need to unpack this just a little bit before we move farther into the story. So the Jewish Passover was this week-long festival that the Jews would come to Jerusalem and remember how God had freed them from slavery out of Pharaoh's hand. And you can read about this whole account in the book of Exodus. It's an awesome story. Uh, Moses parts the Red Sea. We kind of reference that in the one song. There's these crazy things that happen. It's a really awesome book in the Bible. But God was trying to get a hold of Pharaoh's heart. And so there was these things called plagues that happened. And there was all these random crazy things that happened. But one of them was God was going to send an angel of death to go over the area and kill the firstborn child of every home unless they sacrificed an animal and wiped the blood over their doorpost. If there was blood over their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over that home. And so God's people, they were obedient to God and what he said to them. So they sacrificed the animals, they put the blood over the post, and the angel of death passed over. Well, the Egyptians, they didn't worship God. They worshiped all these other deities. And so the angel of death went in and killed the firstborn child of Pharaoh to try to wake him up and to get his attention. And so this festival that was happening is to remember how God had removed them under this oppression and this slavery from Egypt and under Pharaoh. And so it was like this week-long thing to remember what God has done. Now, I keep saying the word remember because I don't remember so well. Like, I forget things all the time. Like, I remember like three things. I said that the last time I taught. And so I need to set up things in my life to remember. Well, the Jews, they did that. They have a whole week-long festival to remember how God freed them from Egypt. So now that we understand this a little bit more in content, we can go a little bit farther. So in the temple courts, he found people, people, yeah, people selling cattle, sheep, doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So to put this into context, not everybody lived in Jerusalem. They lived all over the place. And so they didn't have minivans with the car top carriers to throw the kids in and throw bags in the car top and throw bags in between the kids and go off on a trip. They weren't able to do that. It was harder to travel back then. And so they'd load up the whole family and they would go to Jerusalem to remember what God has done. So instead of dragging along an animal to be sacrificed, which is one of the things that they did during the week, was to sacrifice an animal to remember what God has done. So what they would do is they would go to Jerusalem, they would meet with a money exchanger, and he would exchange your money because everybody had different kinds of money, but only one currency was used at the temple. So they would go to the money exchanger, and I would trade in my wooden nickel, you know, that you're not supposed to take, that old saying, 
and you would receive the temple currency. Then I could come over to here and purchase an animal to go be sacrificed to remember what God has done for our people. The problem with this is the money exchangers would charge an absorbent amount of money to take your money. So they were making profit off of you. They would say, your money's not worth that much, so I'm only going to give you X amount. Well, then you hardly have any money to go purchase this animal because certain animals cost different prices. And so they were, they were charging too much for the animals to go sacrifice. And all God's people are trying to do is go worship him and to remember what he has done for their people. But there are people who are taking advantage of them. And so with that being in context, let's see how Jesus handles this. So he made a whip out of cords. Read this word with me. Drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. He's quoting Psalm 69. And so Jesus, he understands why his people are even coming there to remember how he has redeemed them and taken them out of slavery. And people are taking advantage of it. And Jesus is ticked. He's turning over tables. He's driving them out of there. He is upset. He is angry. Are we ready for tacos now? Jesus was disgusted with what these people were doing. Jesus and Christians are at odds with the world. His kingdom is at odds with the kingdoms of this world. And so these people were building up their own kingdoms. And so, friends, the question happens, what kingdoms are we building up? Is it a kingdom that Jesus is going to get upset about, or are we building up Jesus' kingdom? What kingdoms are we building? And so, yeah, bro, Jesus was ticked. He was ticked at the way that they were handling this and how they were blocking God's people from coming and truly worshiping him. There are things in this world that should absolutely boil our blood. There are things that as soon as we hear it, we're immediately angered. You know what I get angry about? That 90% of the traffic, human trafficking that happens, happens in the United States. I'm angry that Michigan ranks number two in human trafficking. That 150 Michigan girls are taken and seduced into sex slavery every single month. And that the national hotline for human trafficking, it receives 100 phone calls a day. That angers me. It should anger you too. Human trafficking is bigger than any other point in slavery. They can't even get firm numbers on this. This number right here angers me. That's how many abortions happened in the state of Michigan in 2015. 
Now hear me on this. I know this is a very sensitive subject. And as someone who's had an abortion, this angers me. And I get that there are some awful, awful circumstances. But 27,151 babies lost their life in 2015 just in the state of Michigan. There are things that should absolutely make us angry. And it shouldn't be because of the driver who's driving too slow in the left lane. And I'm preaching to myself on this. But what things are we getting angry at, friends? Because there are things that should absolutely just, it should just make us so angry that these things are happening in our world. Anger of a good sort is also spoken of in the Bible. Righteous indignation refers to an extreme displeasure of a holy heart unable to tolerate sin of any kind. So scripture is very clear that we can be angry. In fact, Paul, the same guy who wrote to Colossae, he wrote to this other church in Ephesus. And the first time that I actually, the scripture actually made sense to me, I was seeing my counselor. And I went to go see him about these other things. And he said, Brandon, you're addicted to anger. And I literally laughed out loud to him, like, LOL. I seriously, I, I was like, I'm not addicted to anger. I'm a fun-loving guy. I love to joke around. I love to come to the office and shoot people with Nerf guns. It's a lot of fun. My coworkers probably don't think that, but. <laughs> but he said, you're addicted to anger. Two weeks later, I realized how right he was. I realized how critical I was and how I would just talk down on everything until he spoke truth into my life. I didn't realize how angry I was. And as a good Christian counselor would do, he slid his Bible across the desk and he says, go to Ephesians chapter 4. And so I started reading. I said, be angry. He said, what? Be angry. He kept interrupting me because I kept trying to reread it to finish the sentence. And then I finally got it. Be angry. Like, it's okay to be angry, but do not sin. That's the caveat. I sin all the time when I'm angry. But there are things that boil my blood, and I'm angry about it. But the way that I talk to my children... That's sin in my anger. But he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. And it's the idea that we can be angry, but we don't stay there. So the sun comes up, and then the sun goes down. That's got to be a country song of some sort. <laughs> but the sun comes up, and the sun goes down, and that's when our anger should go away. And I don't know that it's a literal meaning that once the sunset goes below, that you have to be done being angry. I don't know that that's what he's saying, but I think what he is saying is we don't stay angry. And let's be honest, friends, like we can be angry for a while, right? We can be mad a couple days, a week, 10 years. We hold on to those things. Come on, I'm speaking to somebody here. We'll hold on to that anger for a while. 
come on, we're, we're all in family. We got family members who absolutely drive us nuts. But we'll hold on to that anger, and Paul's like, hey, look, you can be angry. Don't sin in your anger, but don't stay there. Why? Because we don't want to give an opportunity to the devil. And so it's the idea that if we stay angry, Satan's going to come in. There is an enemy of our souls. He loves to plant these lies into our head. We can justify our anger all we want. At least I can. And he gets this foothold into our life. And if you've ever done any kind of climbing, whether on a, a rock wall or a climbing wall, you have to get your feet solid and you use your legs because your legs are stronger than your arms. And we get that foothold. We don't want that for the enemy of our souls. And so we need to be very careful in our anger. I love this quote. I absolutely love this. The longer a person allows permissible anger to continue, read these three words with me. Greater, greater the danger that it will develop sinful qualities given Satan a foothold for attack. We can be angry, but there's a tremendous amount of danger that can happen with it. And I think James, the half-brother of Jesus, he gets it. And so he wrote, um, I call it a sermon. He's not a one-point kind of message guy. He's got a whole bunch of different points. But James writes this in James chapter 1. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Now, to put this into context, James is writing to Christian Jews. So there was the Roman Empire who didn't like Jews, and then the Jews didn't like the Christian Jews because they're following this Jesus guy. And so the Christian Jews are an outcast of the outcasts. So Rome didn't like the Jews, they outcasted them, but then the Jews are like, no, we don't like you Jesus lovers, you guys are weird. And so if anybody had a reason to be upset, it was these Christian Jews. And James wrote this to the Christian Jews, and this is what he says. He says, pay attention, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. He didn't say don't get angry. He said slow to be angry. I think there's a reason why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? Like, I open mine way too many times. <laughs> I'm always putting my foot in it. I think what James is saying here, before we get all riled up, is, hey, look, pump the brakes, let's listen to the situation and work through this before we speak into it. Because when I'm angry, I've got two mouths, and they're both running at the same time, and I'm not even listening to what's going on. My wife would probably testify to that sometimes. So James is saying, hey, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So we're going to produce something in our anger. Some of us here work in a factory and we have a product that we make. Some of us may have a garden and we have produce. We produce things in our anger. 
And James gets that. But there are things that we can produce that are righteous in our anger. And as I was preparing for this message, uh, I, I love teaching just for the sheer fact that I just get to drown myself in Scripture. And I came across all these verses, and I didn't even use 75% of what I went through preparing for this message. But there's this one verse in Ecclesiastes that just absolutely wrecked me. And I think it also kind of references the Will Roger quote. So in Ecclesiastes, it says, The end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I don't want to be a fool. But catch this at the beginning, friends. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. The way we land it matters. And I've experienced a lot of people in my life that have not ended well. I want to end my life well. And sometimes our anger, we let that be the ending. And there's things that we can be upset about. Hear me on this. But we can't let that be the ending. The end of the matter is better than its beginning. And patience. Be careful praying for patience. Here's a little bunny trail. Don't pray for patience unless you're ready to be tested in patience. Because do we pray for patience hoping that God will just automatically give us patience? Or does he give us opportunities to practice patience? I stopped praying for patience a long time ago. <laughs> there have been times I say, God, I need patience. Don't give me an opportunity. Literally give me the patience. But it's better than pride. So don't be quickly provoked. Chill out on the temper. And in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. I don't think anybody sitting here or hearing my voice right now wants to be a fool. But I want to end our time together with a question. And this is a question that has absolutely wrecked me for the last week and a half. Because that's the way the enemy of our soul is. Oh, you're going to preach about this? Let's put it to a test. And this is a question that I want us to ask each and every time we get upset, each and every time that we get angry, each and every time that we're just irritated beyond belief. And this is a question that I want us to wrestle with. And it's this, what are we producing with our anger? Because there are things that we can be angry about, friends. Jesus was angry. He drove people out of the church. But what are we angry about? Because that's the same as murder. And there's tension there. There's all kinds of tension. But I want us to wrestle with this. What are we producing with our anger? What are we producing with our anger? The band's going to play. The lights are going to go down. And we're going to open up the stage or the altar, the steps, whatever you want to call it. And maybe today you need to come forward and you need to say, God, I am sorry for the way that I've handled my anger. Will you forgive me? The Bible is very clear that he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's very clear on that. And so the band's going to play. We're going to open it up. 
You might be the only person that comes down. That's okay. If you need specific prayer, I'm going to sit right here. If you just need to come up by yourself, come pray. The prayer warriors that are in the audience, if you feel led to go pray for somebody, please do so. But let's, let's produce something well with our anger, friends. And let's release that anger that is our own kingdom. Let's release that anger and give that over to this cross where Jesus was dead, buried, and raised because the power of that resurrection can come into our lives right now, today. I want to pray for you, and if you feel led to move, move. If you're the only one, this is a judgment-free zone. But today can be the day to give it up to that empty cross. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for showing us that example of anger and righteous anger. And Lord, we understand now that our anger can be very dangerous. And Jesus, we've been holding on to this thing for way too long. And so, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and give it over to you this morning. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall fresh now as somebody moves. And Jesus, I pray that they would understand your grace and your mercies and that they are forgiven. And so, Father, we come to your altar. In Jesus' name, amen.